Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, one of the things that we hear a lot from business owners is, you know, I hesitate to sell my business because I'm worried that I'm not going to be to be able to get the same return from the after-tax investments that I have from the sale of that business. And that holds a lot of people back. You know, in this day and age, it's hard to get a yield out there on your investments in traditional investments. So uh, so that's why we have today, our, my guest is Joe Situ from Morton Capital Management. He's a senior VP with that firm, which operates out of Calabasas, California. And, and Joe is a partner and vice president with Morton Capital Management, which is a registered investment advisor, managing about $1.6 billion in assets under management. And as a certified financial planner and chartered financial analyst, Mr. C2 has 17 years of experience in developing investment strategies for affluent business owners and high net worth families. And today we're going to talk about the realities of selling your business in a zero interest rate environment. Joe, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me today. Uh, Joe, tell us a little bit more about Morton Capital Management. Uh, help us get familiar with the firm. Sure. So Morton Capital, as you mentioned, we're a fee-only uh, investment advisor, so we're registered with the SEC. Uh, and so in that regard, we're a fiduciary to our clients. We act in a fiduciary capacity. We're based in Calabasas, California, uh, and, we're re- and we've been registered with the SEC, by the way, since 1983. Uh, currently, we have about 26 employees. Uh, we manage about $1.6 billion for approximately 800 clients. <clears throat> uh, one interesting uh, tip or statistic is, you know, Barron's does a study of the top 100 independent advisory firms uh, throughout the nation. Uh, and, you know, I'm proud to say that we've been on that list for nine out of the past 10 years. Uh, most recently, we were ranked number 32. Uh, one of the things I think that a little bit different about our firm is that we've built a reputation as being a thought leader among the mm-hmm. independent advisory community um, by utilizing really more of an institutional approach to our asset management. So specifically, we incorporate niche strategies that go beyond just traditional stocks and bonds, as you mentioned earlier. And it's so important today. I mean, I'm sure our listeners are aware of the fact that when you look at your bank yields, your money market yields, and your bond yields, you're not looking at very much these days, if, if at all. So it's really important. Now, a lot of uh, people that are listening, Joe, are business owners who are saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that someday I'm going to sell my business. And if after the tax man's done with me, I'll have a, a lump sum or maybe some installment um, proceeds to reinvest. And there, there's a real problem for people that are looking at traditional investment strategies and that uh, in that light today, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you know, you highlighted it, a question that business owners do need to, you know, um, try and understand is maybe they're not better off selling uh, in this environment. Um, perhaps maybe they're better off holding on to the business and waiting until perhaps uh, yields normalize at some point. The problem is, is that, you know, the Federal Reserve has been 
you know, and not just the Federal Reserve, but central bankers throughout the world have really, you know, depressed in, uh, interest rates to such a level to obviously stimulate economic growth uh, for a lot longer than, you know, uh, many had anticipated. And it's, it's likely that rates will be lower for a longer period of time um, going forward because when you look at the demographics of most developed countries uh, and just the growth rates associated with them, um, they're going to be lower uh, than they have been in the past during the 60s, the 70s, 80s, and the 90s. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that in mind, I mean, one thing business owners can do is obviously try to uh, drive the value of their business up as much as possible and get it into a position where it can run systematically without their full-time input, which is the dream of many <laughs> many of the baby boomers out there I hear, right? They say, just just help me go from overtime president to part-time chairman of the board or visionary or, you know, help me get my life back um, and not do something foolish, but like selling at a time when I can't get a very good yield or maybe the, de- the values are depressed. Uh, so why is it important for business owners to do financial planning prior to selling their business and what steps can they take? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I think that, you know, when you look at, you know, oftentimes what happens, right, is business owners get so consumed with running their business, preparing for it to be sold, completing the transaction, that they simply don't put in the time and energy. They don't have the focus to to identify for themselves, well, what does this mean when it's all done? Um, though is, you know, again, first and foremost, is tax mitigation important? Uh, do the owners have a charitable inclination? Do they want the kids to be involved in the business? So the, all of these questions should be thought through, right, beforehand because there's a multitude of tax strategies, uh, estate planning strategies that can be utilized uh, ahead of time so that you can maximize value for all parties involved, both for the business owner, for his family, for potentially uh, the acquisition, uh, the acquire uh, of the company. Um, but beyond that, right, once you have this huge life-changing event because their identities are so wrapped up in their business, you know, there's multiple things to consider. You know, for example, let's say now you have a lot of time on your hands. Well, assuming you're not tied up as part of the, part of the deal, well, how are you going to spend your free time? What are the financial mm-hmm. implications of this? For example, are you going to join a golf, uh, you know, a golf club, a country club? You know, what are the costs associated with that? Do you really want to travel more? You know, many of the expenses that business owners previously ran through their company may no longer be tax deductible. So how is mm-hmm. this going to impact their situation, right? So these are the really sort of point. things that I think yeah. that, yeah, exactly, that they need to think through versus, you know, the mentality we constantly see is, oh, I'll deal with that once I get the cash or I'll deal with that later. And then after the fact, it's like, okay, great, we've had, you've had this uh, transaction, you know, consummated. And then they're left with like, well, I kind of wish I'd thought through this prior to prior to the transaction occurring. So let's back up through that. Uh, for example, I mean, let's be a little bit more specific about expenses that the business takes care of. We all know we all know uh, uh, entertainment will slide onto the P and L. Um, you know, sports right. tickets, maybe dinners, entertainment, some travel. What else? What are some of the other expenses that you see people forget about? I mean, look, everything from, you know, car leases to cell phones to, I mean, and part of it, frankly, comes down to, and I've, I've got to put a caveat out there, I'm not a, I'm not a CPA, um, but, you know, depending on how aggressive they were being with, you know, personal expenses uh, that they ran through the business, they felt comfortable running through the business. Um, though a variety of different things, again, car leases, cell phones, a lot of travel, travel that may have been 
uh, partially business but partially pleasure, they were able to write off a significant portion of. Um, those typically are the sort of things that you you know you'll see. And it may be it may come down to financial obligations that they they took care of through the business, like putting a kid to work to help pay for some of the things that they did, which may not be an option down the road, and they may have to come out of pocket for personal gifts or or helping out in different ways. Mm-hmm. So you're right. There, there could be a lot of things. The, the point is, the point is, you think you get a certain amount of money in your W-2 salary and your, your dividends, maybe from your ERS corp or your, your LLC uh, pass-through, and then you spend that money. You think, boy, I, it doesn't cost us very much to live. That'll be fine. Think again, right? Because you really need to back into that and think of it and health care costs and all those types of that, things that will come back. Yeah, that was just one that popped in my head. Health, you know, your healthcare premiums and your insurance premiums that you're running through your company. Again, obviously, with the rising care of healthcare costs, especially as people obviously get older, that could have a material impact in their in their situation. So again, these are the sort of things you want to think through um, before mm-hmm. the sale. Now, a lot of, of uh, our listeners are tend to be towards not the you know the the larger businesses, but more the smaller businesses. And in some cases, they may be thinking, well, what I really want to do is pass the business on to a child or key employees, keep the culture alive and continue to get, um, to continue to get some kind of cash flow from it. Um, uh, how about taxes? How, how much can that play into when people say, yeah, I'm going to sell it for $5 million, for instance, if they are mm-hmm. able to get an outside buyer to buy it for 5 million, let's say, uh, what's the, what are the, the harsh realities of taxes on that amount. Well, that's again, where you're going to really want to, you know, and the, I believe the IRS just came out with regulations in terms of um, limiting the amount of discounts associated with transfers, transfers and gifting specifically more related to, I believe the family members. And your Mm -hmm. question goes to maybe an outside buyer, but again, depending on is is this person charitably inclined, there are tax strategies uh, that could be used. For example, charitable remainder trust or charitable lead trust, or even a donor advice fund uh, that maybe makes sense so that um, they're maximizing, again, what their goals are in terms of what this means for, for them, right? what this means for their family legacy, and ultimately how they can tie the sale of the business into the vision that they have for their life and the wealth that they've created. That's why it's paramount you have your, you know, your CPA, your estate attorney, and your financial advisor and any other professionals that are going to be handling these assets post-transaction ahead, uh, you get together together ahead of the sale and, and hash out what the patriarch of the CEO's vision is um, for uh, for the future. That's great advice. So even if you if even if you say you know I don't have a, a charitable urge anywhere, well, do you have a government urge? Uh, because maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe the charity's going to put more in your pocket and do some more uh, help for people that might put your name on a building, for instance. So think about you got to think about all these types of things. I'm talking with Joe C2 of, of Morton Capital Management. Joe, why is, uh, you guys are talking uh, a lot about alternative investment strategies today, and you've identified a niche in that area. Um, why is that? What are, t- tell our listeners what alternatives are specifically and why they're so popular today. Yeah, sure. So I'll just take a step back and give you a little bit. Um, it goes a little bit deeper than that in, in, in the sense that uh, my partner and the founder of our company, Lon Morton, he founded the company back in 1981, um, really was a pioneer in the fee-only world. Um, back then, they're really the idea of providing 
advice for a fee was really a novel idea. Now, nowadays, it, you know, there's quite a few independent advisors, but back then there really weren't. Most advisors then were commissioned brokers who were essentially selling stocks or annuities or, you know, mutual funds and being compensated for it. And he felt that you can't be objective if you are being compensated by the products you represent and then also the clients. You, you can't serve two masters. So, again, I think the idea of being kind of a thought leader thinking outside of the box is just steeped in the, in the firm's history and culture. He has been investing in real estate since the 1960s and really always felt like, when, look, when you build a diversified portfolio, it has to go beyond stocks and bonds. So, that, again, that, that's steeped in our culture, not only myself, but my other partners and, and really everyone here. We, you know, it's in our culture to think outside of the box, to question kind of the standard models and not just follow the herd mentality. So when you look at valuations today on stocks and bonds, we feel that they are expensive. You know, our job, first and foremost, we believe is risk management. Clients come to us. They have amassed a certain amount of wealth. Our job is to protect that principle and then hopefully grow it at a reasonable uh, level of return prudently. So going back to your question on why are alternatives important, you know, let's just look at the, the endowment models, Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Mm -hmm. I think that they would agree with us when you say, you see, they only have about 5 to 10% allocated maybe to traditional cash and fixed income investments, 20 to 30% allocated to traditional stocks. The remaining 60 to 70% is allocated to a broader set of investments, i.e. what most people call alternatives. Now, not all investors have perpetual time horizons like the endowments, but what you do often find is business owners you know, have created wealth from their business. They have a desire, to, a desire to create a family legacy that goes beyond just the patriarch's lifetime. That makes a lot of sense, and when you talk about the, the big um, endowment funds, of course, they're managing billions and billions of dollars, and uh, you know, one of the problems is, I think, for a lot of people, is they, they, we were trained on, on the traditional 50-50, 60-40, 70-30, you know, stocks and bonds kind of models for the, the common person, and the world has changed, and again, like you said, uh, the government and other influences are at work to keep interest rates low for an extended period of time now because of the uh, need to stimulate the economy and get more. more. I mean, obviously, things aren't as good as, as they're always painted because otherwise we'd see higher interest rates now. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. but so, so now that more and more, I mean, if we look back 10 years ago, how would those endowment funds have structured that? 60 to 75 percent and the five to ten in, in stock cash and stocks yeah i mean you know the, the reality is is i don't know off the top of my head but i'm spitballing here that you know you they probably would have had, had higher levels uh maybe in the more traditional assets because you know again uh, interest rates weren't at all-time lows so right. it comes down to again you know i think opportunity set i mean there's nothing we look if, if evaluations on stocks and bonds were very attractive, we would allocate more and more to those asset classes. It's not that we have anything necessarily fundamentally against any single asset class. What I think the, one of the key drivers for us is just not to simply limit ourselves to what a traditional model might be. And again, right. come, that comes back to trying to be a thought leader in the community. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And it, it, I think we're, what we're trying to do is open the eyes to the people listening that, 
you need to you need to uh, be up with the times. You know, if, if this is what the big institutional investors are doing, don't you think they have the resources to figure all this stuff out? And they, you know, so again, that's uh, that's what you guys are are doing is getting people in tune, getting your portfolios in tune with what the current realities are out there. Uh, now, Joe, uh, how can business owners or any investor out there generate sufficient income in this zero interest rate environment after they sell their business? What are some tips or ideas or precautions you can tell our listeners? Yeah, I'll give you uh, a couple things. One is, so again, it comes down to identifying first within a reasonable range what the needs are uh, from these assets, okay? Certain asset classes that, you know, I would argue that a, anyone from a million dollars to, you know, uh, on up could have a modest exposure to, you could look at real estate, okay? Both on the equity side where you own the asset and you're receiving rental income. Now, again, broadly speaking, real estate, which tends to have a certain level of interest rate sensitivity, is high, again, broadly speaking. So we are focusing on, and I would suggest that investors focus on subsectors of the market that are less sensitive to economic downturns. Um, right now, for example, one of the areas we have been um, very bullish on is student housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's an area that we think that should we have another somewhat, uh, somewhat like a 2008 scenario, should do reasonably okay. Um, on the real estate debt side, where you have loans that are collateralized by real estate, <clears throat> those can be attractive. Uh, there are pools of diversified private mortgages that are in first position, you know, I wouldn't recommend being in second position. You want to be in first position, so you have the asset to collateralize the loan with a conservative loan-to-value ratio, right? So if there's a property that's worth a million dollars, maybe the general partner who runs this fund is willing to lend $500,000 against that property such that if they need to foreclose because the borrower is not keeping up with payments, you have adequate collateral to protect your principal. That's an example of something that, again, that is out there. Um, where people get into trouble is if they if they invest in a in a, a vehicle like this where they're in seconds second position someone's ahead of you uh, or the loan to value ratios are high let's say 90% where you don't have enough uh, collateral to cover in the case uh, again of a default mm-hmm. uh, so these are the sort of things that will typically pay kind of high single digit returns and we've been using and cash flows paid quarterly or monthly uh, we've been using these as a substitute for traditional bond exposure. So we've, we've, and they tend to be shorter term loans anywhere from one to three years. So again, you want to stay broadly diversified though. Uh, a couple other asset classes, maybe to, go ahead, Bill. No, no, go ahead. Do you have a question? Yeah. Nope. Nope. Two, uh, two other asset classes to maybe re, to consider uh, reinsurance. Uh, this is an area I, Warren Buffett's made a lot of money in reinsurance. I think everybody knows his name. So there's certain subsectors of the reinsurance market that can offer diversification benefits relative to traditional stocks and bonds. Uh, they tend to be structured as floating rate uh, bonds. So if interest rates go up, you don't get hurt like you do in a traditional bond where the value typically goes down. Uh, so that might be an area to consider. They, they generally are going to get pretty good yields uh, on reinsurance bonds. Uh, and even diversified asset-backed lending strategies that might capitalize on tax liens or equipment financing or auto loans or medical receivables. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I do want to throw out kind of a couple caveats in terms of warnings because I don't want to make, I want to give a fair you know, view of, of the realities of this. So the, the, 
some of the biggest risks that you'll encounter here is if you're investing in a private partnership, you have the illiquidity of the partnership, right? You can't trade out of it the next day like you could a traditional mutual fund or a stock or a bond or an ETF. So that is something that the investors really need to understand. They also not only want to look at the liquidity terms of the partnership itself, but the underlying asset class, the assets that the partnership holds, what is the liquidity cycle there? So you want to make sure you get comfortable with that. Good point. Uh, due Good diligence. Point. Due diligence, um, obviously because there is, uh, there's not the same reporting requirements that you have for publicly traded securities. Investors need to be able to do their own due diligence in terms of not only the investment opportunity, but the operational due diligence. So who's, you know, how's the cash moving? Um, you know, is there an independent auditor? Is there an independent administrator? Do the general partners have a lot of their own skin in the game? If you can't do the due diligence, you have to hire someone to do it for you, and obviously a trusted source that you feel comfortable with. And then two other items to consider. Fees are generally higher, so you need to take that into consideration. Is it worth it? And then lastly, uh, the tax reporting is done via K-1 typically, and so that may uh, just be something you want to be con you know, uh, conscientious of. Great. I've been talking with Joe C2 of Morton Capital Management. Joe, how do our listeners get in touch with you to talk with you about these very interesting concepts and ideas you've brought up today? Uh, they can get a hold of me directly. Uh, my, my phone number is 818-591-6219. Uh, or they can visit our website, uh, mortoncapital.com. Uh, or via email, uh, jc2 at mortoncapital.com. So, listeners, your job is to is to build up your business and get the most value out of it and get it ready for a sale transaction at Morton Capital Management. Their job is to help you take that, take those proceeds, uh, think about it early on, think about some of the best strategies you can implement, and then put your money to work because there's, there's no fun to be had when your money is just sitting there not doing anything. And it's very important these days to work with professionals that can help you get outside the box of traditional investments and, and learn a little bit more about what's available in alternative strategies. Joe, thank you so much for joining. It's been a real pleasure having us uh, or having you with us today. And uh, I, I wish you all the best and I look forward to the next time we speak. That sounds great, Bill. Thank you for your time. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this, so please stay with us. Business owners, if you came back from lunch and there was a resignation letter on your desk, which employee would you really, really not want it to be from? What are you doing to prevent this from happening? At Exit and Retirement Strategies, we design plans that attract, motivate, and retain key employees. For a free consultation, call Bill Black, the Exit Coach, at 866-370-3774. Call today. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 